0: I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl and I'm Esther Ikoro and we're the hosts of the Honest Field Guide podcast. Entrepreneurship is no joke. The
1: journey is full of anticipation, failure, hope and disappointment. You'll make money and be totally broke at the same time. The Honest Field Guide podcast tells you the truth. We know being an entrepreneur is crazy hard and you will sometimes cry at dinner. Listen in to be inspired, laugh and learn how to really thrive on your business journey.
0: On this episode of The Honest Field Guide, stories from the front lines, how to chase your dream. Okay, Jinja. <laughs> uh, this is a, a topic that I think is really important because it's important to hear firsthand from, from people who are doing it and have been doing it for a while, um, what their stories are, what they've learned, You know, your insights from your experiences. And when did you decide that you were gonna quit your day job and do your own thing and build your own business? What was that decision-making process like?
1: I love that question. And this is a question that I get all the time. And um, I ask it too of mature business owners to ask them, you know, how did you get to this place, right? Um, I was working in corporate America for a really long time. And I got to a point where I looked around and I thought, you know, this is not going to be, my future. I don't see myself growing in this environment. I'm not even sure if I'm gonna be able to raise a family in this environment. I don't see people that look like me. I'm in boardrooms. That with sounds people. very familiar <laughs> to me right now. I know. I don't see people I wasn't I wasn't hearing voices that sounded like mine and I was in meetings and environments where I didn't feel extremely valued. So I was kind of Looking for, almost looking for a reason to move on and leave. I mean, a little bit, you know? Did you get one or waiting. did you
0: finally give yourself the reason?
1: I actually, I actually um, had an opportunity at my very last quote unquote corporate job where I decided between my husband and I, we were going to start a band. And so we started a band and we were working on music and songs and I was going away from work and writing songs for an hour to an hour and a half of my lunch break and kind of sauntering back in the office. And I remember my, my lovely boss at the time, you know, she says to me, and I'd had a woman boss and she was great. She was killing it. She had a family, great business, great clients. And she sat me down and said, you know, Jinja, one of these days you're going to find what you're looking to do, but I don't think this is really what you want to do. And I was like, you know, you're right. I really don't want to do this work anymore. I don't want to be here. You're right. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to you for me to be here because I'm not really giving you everything I got because I got a lot to give and I'm not really putting it with you. And so I left. And it was interesting because um, when I got home, I remember telling my husband, so honey, I'm going to open my own company today. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah. Yeah today's the day I'm going to start my own business. And I literally did. I, I went right from the door and sat down at my computer and I designed my business card. And I probably about an hour came up with the name Burke design at the time because my name is now my agency name is now Burke creative. And I had a business card and I printed it out on my printer and that was kind of it. <laughs> and I started my own company and it was really scary at first. I was, I was, I was scared but not in the way that my husband was scared you know my husband was more scared about um you know oh my gosh so it's just me now I'm like yep it's just you (laughs) it's just you out there working yay just working um but honestly I felt empowered and I felt strong and I felt capable that's the other thing I felt very capable um I had the kind of business that I didn't need to have a lot of capital to start opening the doors. You know, I, I, I'm not in manufacturing. I'm not making products. I'm really working on brand strategy with my mind and my ideas. And so that didn't require, um, large office space. You know, it didn't require extraordinary equipment. I didn't have to leverage suppliers. So there are, there is a benefit to, what I did to open my business that didn't take as much of a lift as some other companies that have to open a open a company. Um, and that's a big deal. Not having capital or not needing capital sometimes can determine whether or not you are ready to go out on your own. But I started out with 1000 of my own paid in capital mm-hmm. in my bank account. And that was it, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Wow. That's I mean, I I know that a lot of people listening can probably relate to that. I can definitely relate to that myself, Mm -hmm. you know, because in order for you, in order for you to get to a point, it seems um, where you're doing something where you are wanting to use give it all you got, Mm -hmm. there is some risk involved Mm -hmm. because often putting yourself in a position where you want to give it all you got if you're an entrepreneurially minded person Mm -hmm. means taking a step out of your comfort zone out of the safety and familiarity of Mm -hmm. something like a corporate machine and and stepping into your own stuff where the buck does stop at you Mm -hmm. so um talk to me about like the the first month what was the first month like because i mean sure one of your biggest clients is google now like you're 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 not you know You're not new at this. You're you're doing pretty good for yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my son said I was clever. He said I was clever. You're quite clever. He said I was clever because Google's my client. He said only clever people can have Google. And I thought I've actually I feel so good about myself right now because my son thinks I'm clever. He's like Yo, my mom is clever.
0: (laughs) Mom's more clever than your mom. (laughs) (laughs) And she's in a band. And she has a podcast. (laughs) Man, you're killing it. But (laughs) the first month. Yeah, what's the first month like? What's the first month like? I mean, yeah, did you, did you walk into a client immediately? What was what's that first well, moment so, where you're like, Yay! I'm excited. I'm doing this. I I, I got my business card. I'm, I've got the energy. Now we're the, we're the clients. <laughs> yeah, I think you know one of the one of the things that um
1: I worked hard at when I was working in corporate was I kept my dignity. I developed um really strong relationships with um. Other professional services people and clients and organizations. Mm -hmm. So when my big client did walk in the door, I was ready to service that large client. Um, I wasn't on my own and I didn't have to find the money to do things. I had people that were able to help me deliver the best service I could to the client I had, which was at the time um, was was actually um, Anderson, which is now Accenture. Um, Yeah, so they were my um, my first large client. I did a really exciting project with them and I had one of my best printers printing the book that I needed after I designed it. I had one of my best writers help me write and edit it. Um, I had um, one of the best artist representatives in the country um, help me locate and source one of the best artists that I hired to do the work for the book I produced. And these are all relationships that I cultivated in the corporate sector. So one of the things I tell um, young people that are trying to decide whether they should go from college to entrepreneur or college to corporate, um, even though I did my time in corporate, I think that that experience helped me develop some um, skills and chops and relationships that I wouldn't have been able to get on my own as quickly as I did. I learned how to walk the walk and talk the talk in corporate And it positioned me very strongly to be, you know, a solid, strong business owner when I hit the ground on my own. The first month was exciting for me. Um, It was probably a little more um, nerve wracking for my family. They weren't sure exactly what had come over me because as I was talking earlier to one of my friends, you know, your family expects you to be on a corporate plantation your entire life because that's the world they know. Mm -hmm. And there's no other world because the, the, the idea that you know, you would go from job to job when I opened my company was, was horrifying. You know, nowadays it's very different. I mean, people expect you to have multiple jobs because you can't learn everything you need to learn on one job. And mm. nowadays, people don't want you to learn one thing on one job because when you take one job and you sit there and do the one job forever, you're setting yourself up for not being able to grow to into another job or even decide to open your own company one day because you're so leaned into one thing. But I never did that. So when I was out my first month, um, I was fortunate. I had a client, and it was a very good paying client that respected me. In my opinion, it did happen to be a woman that hired me for the work. Um, she had a family before I had, so there was sort of that um, a little bit of um, familiarity with starting out. You know, she had more empathy for what I needed to do, and she remembered me. You know, from um, when we worked together um, when I was at Anderson. So that was helpful too. There was already sort of an existing relationship. So I will suggest that it is helpful to have. Um, some kind of connection that you can take away from the job you leave to open your own company. But if you decide to start on your own, it's not impossible. It's going to take you a lot longer. It's just going to take you longer to, you know, develop relationships and to build up your business because you're going to have to build a new network. Mm-hmm. Especially
0: you're, if you're pivoting careers.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're changing careers... Mm -hmm. that's even, that's quite different. I tried. I mean, when I left my corporate job and I started my own company, I also launched a band and that was a new thing for me. And my, my husband and I, you know, have since produced three records working on our fourth album, but, um, you know, we were making all kinds of decisions to try to figure out how to get the band to life. And that was a complete pivot as well. Although the marketing side of my business really helped, Mm -hmm. you know, bring the band to life oh yeah as a business I was able to make make the band like a business Mm -hmm. in terms of the you know the paperwork and the financial aspects of it Mm -hmm. things like that but but yeah there is something to be said about when you have to make a career change if Mm -hmm. you're making a career change and you're starting a new business that's really scary so I mean I guess in that context I wasn't that brave at all because you know I was kind of continuing on with what I already done Mm -hmm. I was just doing it on my own instead Mm -hmm. of having a large brand with you know 20,000 employees around mm. the world helping me do my job I mean opening your own company you don't have 20,000 people doing your job for you so you know you're starting to figure out like I don't have 20 I don't have all these A people machine. doing this stuff. I have no machine behind me it's just me out here yeah that's you-
0: why entrepreneurship is is is, is tough yeah, you said two things that really jumped out at me the the first thing you said was about um the relationships you built and how you were able to use them strategically and and you know gather them around you to make sure that you were able to bring your first opportunity to fruition and then the second thing you said was about corporate plantations but let's talk about relationships first because Mm -hmm. relationships are are really really important the power of networking and and who you know and who's able to see your talent is really important when it comes to getting the wheels turning how have you seen the relationship landscape change because you're a relationship person so talk to me a little bit about you know the way that you build relationships now versus how you built them then and how someone who's starting out right now can utilize some of those tactics to build relationships?
1: Well, you know, um, relationships are important no matter how you're developing or cultivating them, whether they're happening online or in person. When I started my business, there was a lot of handshakes and I'd make a phone call and I'd get a meeting and I'd close the deal you know, I get to meet people and there was, there was a lot, there was less aversion to risk. There was less fear. And I certainly don't feel that um, when I opened up, you had to have such a long lane to meet the right people. You know, um, you didn't have to establish your credibility so quickly and so fast. I mean, people had a little bit different level of trust in hiring you. You're saying there's less trust now. I think there's less trust because there's so much confusion that people just don't know what they're buying half the time, or they don't know who you are, or you could be anybody. I just think there's been a change in that, in that space. You um, think that's because of the internet? I think possibly. Um, I'm not exactly. I don't know. I don't know what this. What the answer is to why, when I started my business, I could make a phone call. And get an appointment with a chief executive officer whereas now for me to get an appointment with a chief executive officer I have to network I have to go to events I have to have things on my resume and my LinkedIn profile I have to have introductions I have to have people that can verify and vouch for my credibility and success um, and I mean, now at this point with my business, a lot of this information is available online. So people can just do a search of my company and see things. But, um, you know, back in those days, I mean, it was and I and I hate to sound like back in those days when I was like an old man or old lady, I used to have to walk 15,000 miles to get to school. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, I it's, I'm not trying there. to sound like that. But in technology years, that's kind of what it's like a little yeah. bit, you know, because um, it's just a lot tougher now. To establish credibility and and um and and get customers, I mean even on the retail space, you know, just know what retailers have to do, what retail brands have to do, to create customer loyalty. Now, yeah, you know, it's because not, there's it's always just, another retail brand. There's around the another corner. retail brand around the corner. I mean, you know, there was a time when there were very few, and and the and the way the information was shared was very limited, and now it's it's coming at you in all different ways, and so they have to design all kinds of tactics to get a customer to their door and so and the reverse is true you know for for me to for any of us to get a customer to hire our agencies or for professional services um, it takes different strategies to get to the right people to say yes Um, so I think that as far as networking now is concerned yeah I mean I remember when you did reach out to me on Instagram I immediately went to look at your channel I said who is this person And I looked at your images and I said, wow, they're very clean. They're beautiful. They're dreamy. It's exactly the kind of thing I like. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed looking at looking at the images of nature landscapes in Michigan. Um, And I just thought, oh, that's really interesting. So I stayed in touch, you know, and then there was an opportunity that I felt you would be great for. And I called you up and say, would you be interested in this particular opportunity? And that's kind of how it worked. And that gets to your question of networking. Um, You know, now networking does happen quite a bit online. Um, And that is looking at people's uh, profiles, looking at brand profiles, seeing how they're communicating their words, how are they engaging with other people, um, seeing what other people are clicking and liking, who are their followers, how many followers they have, which isn't really necessarily as important as the type of followers they have. You know, what is the community they built around their own tribe? And then the other piece around networking is, um, I think in particular with women, you know we have to support each other and collaborate, and so it's really important for women to ask questions and learn how we've been able to be successful in our businesses. What have what have you done that got you to this place? How can you help me get there? I need another woman to talk to you about some of the challenges I'm facing. I mean it's it's very different um, the challenges that women have in business and men, and we have, you know, sometimes we have different ways of communicating certain issues, um, and we have different. We have a different um, aversion. We have aversions to risk um, that um, many men don't have, um, particularly when we have families or children or parents to care for. Mm-hmm. When people are counting on us, it makes us less likely to say yes to things and put ourselves out there because there's too, there's too many people counting on us. So, you know, there's a lot of things around um, the work that has to take place in order to network and build relationships so you can build a sustainable business. And And I believe that part of that is, is, is having a tribe of women. I don't think I would be here unless I networked with all of the women that have been in my life for a very, very long time. Some women are still in business. Some women are working for other people and other women that are in my world used to work and they're not working anymore, but they have a lot of insight and knowledge about what it takes to be a long term, you know, woman running business
0: in the landscape of women that I've, I've, of gravitated towards and the things that i've learned from them they're all in different places in their lives and different different experiences but all of them kind of give me insight that i can use in different aspects of my my brand and my business and things like that mm-hmm. so one of the things that that jumped out at me that you were saying you, you cultivate relationships so there isn't this one-to-one handshake meets dollar sign experience and I think that maybe in in the world of social networking and social media there might be this um, almost instant gratification expectation when it comes to networking whereas like n- when you're cultivating someone in your network, you have to grow that relationship and grow that opportunity. Like when I first started talking to you, I didn't know if we were going to work together. I just knew that I was interested in finding out more about what you did. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the doctors that we we talked to the other day talked about just putting things out in the universe and, and making yourself open to experiences, but connecting yourself to people who are doing or adjacent to the things that you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. So on average, how, what is the timeline or what is the maturity timeline from a connection to an opportunity?
1: Wow. That's really tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. I'm here one. to ask the tough question. I know that's a tough one. I mean, just getting back to something you said, um, you know, you're reach you reached out to me asking when you're in Michigan, maybe we can grab a cup of coffee. I I'm interested in what you're doing. It's it's, you know, it's interesting to me. I like what I'm reading. And that was really how that conversation started. And that is not undifferent than how I start conversations when I meet new people, when I think that when I see something they're doing, that's interesting, I reach out and I say, you know, I really think what you're doing is interesting. I'd like to meet with you to talk more about this thing. I want to learn more. This is really cool to me. I think I can use you to help me do this thing, or I think I can help you do this thing based mm-hmm. on what I'm learning about you. So I think that's just part of um, having the courage you know, to reach out to someone and say, let's get together and talk. We connected on Instagram. So Instagram is a place that I use to find resources to help me deliver better service to my clients. The only reason why I responded back to you is because I loved the images that you had on your Instagram channel. I mean, I get a lot of people reaching out to me on Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, and I look at their channel and if I like what I see then I absolutely will respond back. Mm. If I'm not liking it for and it's typically starts with what it looks like because Instagram is a visual you know, smorgasbord. It needs to be it needs to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. I need to look at things that are pretty and 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 gorgeous and like inspiring and that put me in a different place. You know, that's what I use Instagram for. But I also use it when I'm looking for um you know, other creative people to help me with my work because I have a creative agency so you know that was the only reason that that worked it's not something that you can extrapolate to everybody else that reaches out or that you might think to reach out to there has to be a purpose and there has to be some reciprocity there that that's going to work you know um um outside of that sort of experience of I don't like that so what in the world could I possibly do with that for that person or how can I help them? Because I won't be authentic if I, if I say yes and I don't like it, then I'm not really going to be even giving my best to that person and helping them be successful. You know, I mean, people ask me for help. I have to enjoy or like, or feel like I can add value to make a difference for them. And I think that clients are the same way. I mean, people, you know, customers that I have, they look at my work and they decide, is that what I want my work to look like? Or is there something that I'm doing that that agency's work can fit into? You know, or, or can that, or can, can that, can, can Burke Creative create something for me that I need? You know, am I willing to take a chance on Burt Creative if I don't even know exactly what I'm doing with them? I mean, can I take a chance? And based on what I'm seeing here, even if there's a mistake or some kind of a failure somewhere, I'm seeing a history. I'm seeing you know, some, I'm seeing things that are going to work for me. And that's sort of um, what you have to think about when you're meeting new people or trying to meet new people. You know, what do you have to offer? And does whatever you're doing align with what they're doing? And so over time, when I think about how I've been able to transform and scale what I've been doing, and this would be for any entrepreneur that's starting, it really starts with, at least for me, it starts with, reading everything, getting to know people, having conversations.
0: Reading everything, meaning what? What's everything?
1: Well, everything is reading articles on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. reading the newspaper, reading other people's posts that I like on social media channels. You're in tune
0: with the landscape of the mm -hmm. thing that you're trying to do.
1: I really am. But I'm also leaving myself open for things that I may not be trying to do just because they look good or I'm curious about it.
0: I feel that way about entrepreneurship and rap music. What? I, can, I consume all media related to those two things.
1: <laughs> entrepreneurship and rap music? Yeah. Explain those, to me how that works together, please. Those are two
0: very fast-moving cultures that if you want to be in the know... You have to have context to understand. So there's this huge rap battle between Pusha T and and Drake that just happened. If you just listen to the songs that came out of those rap battles, you will not understand what they're referencing and Uh who they're talking about. But if you understand the context is that much juicier and then you hear all of the subsequent commentary and content that everybody else created commenting and critiquing those songs in context of the known relationships the known histories the shortcomings of one person and the controversies and everything same thing with entrepreneurship like if i didn't pay attention i wouldn't know that facebook f8 and google io happened recently Mm -hmm. which means that i wouldn't be up on the latest you know uh, developments which means that I'm, I'm behind the curve. Mm-hmm. So those are two things that I would say every day. I religiously consume content mm-hmm. about rap and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like so you kind of have to choose what is your daily practice.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I like that looking for linkages because that's exactly what I think as an entrepreneur, you have to do. I don't think that you can operate in a vacuum.
0: Mm.
1: You can't, keep you shouldn't be keeping on one lane all the Mm -hmm. time when you're an entrepreneur because things happen and things change um there are businesses that I've coached where they started off having one idea and then at the end of the process of sort of launching their brand they're like wow oh no you know what I totally discovered number one that I hate this thing and I don't ever want to do it again how did I get this far and that's fine I mean not knowing I mean, knowing what you don't want to do is just as important as knowing what you want to do. Yep. But there's also times where, you know, I've worked with small businesses and I've started off with them on one hand and I've sort of let them know, you know, the way we're starting today, you might find later that there's other opportunities that you haven't even uncovered. So don't be so laned and stuck in this one thing that you're saying you're going to do and these are the people that want it and this is how it's going to work to get there because that's possible. But in that journey to you launching and, and, and bringing something to life, you might find a whole entirely different opportunity that still aligns with what you're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you didn't even expect. You had no yeah. idea it was going to happen.
0: I mean, Amazon started off selling books out of a garage. Right? Exactly. You have to be open <laughs> to opportunities as they arise. And yeah. sometimes in the process of building something, whether that's a personal brand or a business, you discover, wait a minute we're actually really good at this one aspect yes. and that is a whole different thing unto itself.
1: Yes. Right. Yeah. But how do you discover that unless you're open and looking around and keeping your eyes right. up yeah. and you're meeting new people and you're sort of staying in touch you're with active. things and it is a lot of things. It's a lot to do at once. It's a lot to do, but that's, that's where you have to sort of start asking that's yourself. What's required. That's what's required. That is what's required. I mean, or you can I just
0: keep your regular job.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can. You can keep your regular job, and that's fine too. It's okay to yeah, that's
0: totally fine. It's
1: okay to decide to not, you know, to just to not to not be an entrepreneur. I, you know, one of the things that's driving me crazy right now is number one, this idea that the world is designed for for extroverts. Number one. And that the only people that can make it are those that are extroverts. And the only people that are entrepreneurs are the extroverts, the ones that are out there. Have
0: you seen Elon Musk? <laughs> he's what is an he? absolute introvert. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible public speaker. Yeah. Constant stutter. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. hanging on his every word.
1: Yeah. Well, he's special. He's different. He's unique. He is one of a kind. Most people are not that's Elon Musk.
0: thing, though. But that he... If the world was built for extroverts i mean we have to really think about some of these founders these aren't extroverted people so where's this myth coming from why do you think that's even a a misconception that people have
1: you know i think it's because there's a lot of screaming on social media it's a very loud place it's a very crowded and busy place there's so much stuff going on and i and i do believe that even though they are introverts they have machines that are working for them to put their messages on social, you know, to get their information out there in ways that other people can hear. Um, I don't know how any person that is opening a company now cannot do that. I mean, I did what social media is doing back then, not at scale, though, Mm -hmm. right? Not at scale. I mean, there was a limit to how much I could do when I opened my company. Because the tools for me to get out there were very limited and limiting. There were gatekeepers. Now, well, there were gatekeepers, the but even the ways I communicate was a was it was a telephone call and a piece of paper and a letter. I see. I mean, really, that's like that's what I'm telling you. Yeah. So now, though, there are so many ways to communicate now that you can build a business a lot faster. At you know, really yeah, now, yes. however. The same rules apply to how you have to communicate and meet people and engage and get to know what they're doing. You still have to do the work. You still have to read. You still have to be curious. You still have to be out there looking for things. Yeah. You have to ask questions yeah. um, and you have to read a lot. You've got to read about innovations and change and new things that are taking place in order for your business to scale and to grow and even to establish. You yeah. know, how are you going to establish unless you are part of, You know, a trust fund family, and you have endless amounts of money that you can kind of blow through, and not have to worry about the consequences of, you know, losing a half a million dollars on your business. Yeah. You know, and there's people like that. God bless them. You know that they have that kind of a bench. Yeah. You know to blow through a half a mil. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's great, Mm -hmm. but um, but it just takes those people
0: also often don't take being knocked down very well. Well, I won't judge. I'm not going to judge. I'm just saying one of the things that I've seen just watching a lot of women Mm -hmm. and men who are building their business from the ground up, Mm -hmm. like bootstrapping in their Mm -hmm. own right, Mm -hmm. is that they create a tougher skin and they know how to handle turbulence in a way that comes with practice Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So when a roadblock does come up, it's not the first time, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: And I love that you brought up the word practice. I mean, you asked me what it was like my first month out the gate with my own company. And that first month was every single day relentlessly on a quest for new clients mm-hmm. and on a quest to ensure that the one client I did have. Loved you. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it took a lot of practice and a lot of discipline, a lot of late nights. I didn't sleep much and Mm. I was very focused and people around me were concerned about money. It was just money. It wasn't a concern about, are you happy or not? It was more like, how are you going to pay your mortgage note? Yeah. It was, how are you going to buy the food? What's going to happen if you're not employed for very long? And I was like, you don't understand. I'm never going to be employed again. I have my own company now.
0: Like this is for real. This, this is, is the for only real. option. I Do burn not, the ships at the shore. Yeah.
1: Do you understand that I'm not ever going back to work for anybody ever again,
0: ever? That is a, a great segue to the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which is corporate plantations. Because one thing that people who are entrepreneurially minded, people want to start their own business. That's okay. I'm not gonna say that word again. <laughs> people who are. Let's just say it.
1: Corporate plantation. Corporate plantation. Corporate plantation. Corporate. Corporate plantation
0: one thing What
1: can we define the corporate plantation please for people that don't know what we're talking about what is a
0: corporate plantation in your words Esther a corporate plantation um, is a place that is very safe and familiar it uses you for a specific purpose but there is a definite ceiling you are always going to be an employee you're never going to own it and there's a limit to what you can do within that system so yes you can rise through the ranks from the field to the house (laughs) Are we really going there? <laughs> you got I me. Mean, hey, if we're using the word plantation, we might as well continue okay, the metaphor. Okay, let's just go. Let's just go. You can rise through the Come ranks. On, no, let's go. Mm-hmm. We can rise through the ranks and and mm-hmm. do very well for ourselves within that safe ecosystem, but okay. there is definitely a limit to what you can accomplish and who you can be and what you can gain, and that's no knock to the to the corporate machine, but that's just to say a lot of people who decide to step out of that want something beyond that ecosystem Mm -hmm. that they can't have by only staying inside of that ecosystem now that ecosystem is safe and most of our parents were raised in that ecosystem Mm -hmm. which means most of our parents most of our loved ones most of our friends most of our families will look at someone leaving a good job to go and start something from scratch on their own like what are you doing Mm -hmm. you have bills to pay because that concept of what you can have is not something that's within their frame of reference. So how did you deal with people who are used to just having a job? There's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, how did you deal with people who couldn't relate to that, to the dream that you had? How did you deal with the pressure? Because it feels sometimes like people are like, when are you going to get out, snap out of it? When are you going to wake up? Exactly.
1: Well, for me, I have convictions and that's a little bit that's a that's that's a personality trait. I'm I'm stubborn and I kind of when I believe something, I believe it. When I when I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And you know, there's a there's a term called rock brain where you have something in your head and you can't get rid of it and that's kind of how I operate sometimes. Like this I think is, I have that. Yeah, I this is what I had to do. I didn't really have a choice, honestly. I I don't feel like I had a choice. Um, I feel like you
0: just weren't made for being in a corporate machine.
1: I don't know if it's that. I just think I've always been very driven and my, my drive and ambition for how I see the world or how I want to help a client be successful is too big to work for someone else. That's it. I just had to do this for myself. And that's how a lot of entrepreneurs believe that, you know, their vision is too big for someone else to manage. They have to manage themselves. And that's, how I that's started my company wow. and how I've still managed to maintain it. And that's how I like to be in, and live and, and, exist. And I know that I do my best work um, definitely when I have direct access to my customer. If it's I about creative work,
0: control, not compromising your vision or, something. well,
1: I don't know if it's even creative control. I think that um, I love being in close proximity to my customer all the time. Um, if I work for somebody else, my proximity is very far apart. I'm not close to the customer because I'm working for someone else who is responsible for the customer, not me. And sometimes my ideas may or may not be heard if I'm not working directly with my customer. And I think that um, if you reverse it, um, customers like working um, directly, you, know, with the person that's providing their service. It's like a retail store. I mean, if you find out, that you're walking into a local business and you're dealing with the owner, your relationship changes immediately when you're inside that store than if you're dealing with it the person really behind does. the register. Yep, It's a totally different conversation. So, um, you know, I love having conversations with my clients directly. It empowers me and I know that when I'm empowered, I can empower my client to also be successful. Um, it's, it's challenging um, to have a world like that and to think like that. And it's not for everyone. It doesn't work for everybody to think like that. But I do think that, um, you know, for people that are much more comfortable um, working for someone else, that is perfectly fine as well. You know, it's not mm-hmm. a bad thing to want to work for other people. I think that I have people that like working for me, and I'm delighted about that because they have other ideas for how they want to live their lives and, One side of their life, they're like, I'm working and I enjoy this work and I like getting the money to do it. And then I go off and I do something else for myself. Or maybe some of the people that work for me have their own side hustle. And they know that if they're working for me, they have the freedom to have their side hustle. There also are companies out there that value entrepreneurs. They only want an entrepreneur working for them. They don't want people that want to be worker bees.
0: You know, not that there's anything wrong with being a worker bee, but they want people you're the second business owner I've heard use the term worker bee. Really? This week. Is that right? That's hilarious.
1: I mean, there's nothing. It's very
0: true and there's nothing wrong with that. There
1: isn't. I mean, there it's people. It's about alignment
0: of expectations, desires, and goals.
1: Exactly. What is your goal, right? So um, there are companies that look for people that think like an entrepreneur because they need people to start everything from scratch. They don't have the time, the bandwidth, the capacity, and it's. And it's not part of their strategy to handhold an employee to solve a problem. They want your, they want the employee to not only solve a problem, they want the employee to find new problems to solve. And that takes a different kind of a worker. But there are companies that aren't like that. I mean, there's other companies that need the machine. They need the machine to be running all the time. And you know what? I worked for that company for a long time and I helped the machine keep going. But I realized at some point, you know what? I really want to run my own machine. And that's totally fine, too. So it really depends on what your goals are. I mean, if you're prepared for the inconsistency inconsistency, and the uncertainty of having your own company, if you're perfectly comfortable with having no money sometimes or being flushed with money, you know, just being on a roller coaster for a long time, that's a beautiful thing. If you're ready for that, you should go for it. Yeah, yeah it's hard, though. It's hard to do it. But I enjoy it. I think that you know it's been, it's been a great opportunity. I know that it's a lot different for me now than it was when I started. Now I can actually take on different work. And getting back to something you talked about earlier, um, because of my openness to learning and thinking about things differently, I've opened up lines of business that I never thought I would be doing because I've been aware and trying to stay awake for changes that are happening in my industry. So because of that, I've been able to scale in places that um, you can't in the rest past, on your laurels. I don't want to. One of my old clients said to me, "Ginja, you either shrink or you grow. You cannot do anything in between. If you're not growing, you're shrinking and you will eventually go out of business. And I will never forget that because there was a time when I was saying no to things, you know, but now I pretty much say yes to almost everything. And figure out later, okay, let me see how to build this. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Um, last two questions. The first is how have you gotten through maybe your most challenging times? I know you're a kind of like a strong headed person, but everybody has doubt. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with doubt? Keep going. Do you ever have imposter syndrome? I cry. <laughs> you cry?
1: <laughs> no, I don't cry. One of the worst times I've had as a small business owner was the crash of 2007. That was a time when I and many other businesses, the floor fell out from underneath us and there was no stopping the falling. There wasn't a landing. We just all kept falling. It was in 2007 when I realized um, and I had was pregnant with my third child And I realized, oh, my goodness, I've put all my eggs in one basket. I have not diversified my business enough. I haven't really, you know, sort of spread out. And I was distracted a little bit. You know, I was doing really great. I had two children. I was rolling. What do you mean by spread out? Um, I needed to spread out. I was really putting too much in a couple of clients. And this is always a strategy that will inevitably fail any business to not mix it up. Um, so my advice is always to any entrepreneur or small business to ensure that you have a diverse customer base to withstand sudden change, to withstand sudden change. Um, and that's important. So what got me through that was what I talked about earlier, um, my tribe of women and my network of people, because we all were hand, stock, lock, (laughs) stock, barrel, arm in arm, marching together. You know, to survive that economic crash of 2007 and 2008, had I not developed those relationships, you know, um, and they were and they're authentic and they still exist today. Had I not developed those relationships, I don't know if I would have made it. And my relationships were diverse: family, friends, women, business owners. You know, all of us together, we were all scared. So that was a really trying time for a lot of us and I would suggest that anybody that has their own business or that's an entrepreneur that um, you know you don't focus on one lane or one group of people or one product line or one service line or one type of client or one industry ensure that you have a mix-up because suddenly that person or industry might vanish overnight and what have you got nothing yeah or you'll be very limited and you'll have to climb your way out which is exactly what I had to do however what was awesome about that climbing was I realized what I had to do to change and that change is what completely helped me pivot my business into a new model which so you evolved I completely evolved into a brand new thing and that brand new thing is where I am today with large really really large brands that have made a difference for myself, my family, my self esteem, my business, and even the people that work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Last question: What is your a key piece of advice um, for a young person or small business owner trying to strike out on their own? That's finally decided. Okay, I'm. I think I'm going to leave my my day job.
1: A person that decides to leave their company has to ask two questions. One. What is my goal for my next three years? What am I trying to accomplish? What do I want to see at the end of this three years? What does success look like for me? That has to be the question. I'm not talking six months. I'm not talking 12 months. I want to have a three-year answer. What does success look like? And does that success have anything to do with money? Or does it have to do with quality of life? And then what does that quality of life need to be like for you to say yes? And the second thing I want to ask is, which is different than when I opened my business 20 years ago, do I need health insurance? Literally, do I need health insurance? Do you have health insurance? Yes Yes or no? I have health insurance. Okay, so the question is, how much not through he- my company, though. Okay, how much health insurance do you need? How much is it going to cost? Yeah. And what happens if the worst happens to my health? Will I be able to pay for that, or will I go bankrupt? You need to ask yourself those two questions. Those are the only two questions you need to ask. And if both of those answers are okay with you, whatever happens, then take a chance and jump, really. But if you're not sure about those two things, wait a month and ask yourself again wait until you reach a point where you feel more comfortable because i would not advise anybody in this environment to just go for it just go for it just see what happens cuz you know when you are in an environment like we are right now in the united states with healthcare um where it's too expensive to get the healthcare you need then this is what's going to this is what stops innovation right now is is people's yeah. you know decisions about healthcare yeah
0: but there's with technology, there's so much that you can do while you're doing your day job to yes. try to get to that place where you feel like you can responsibly, especially if you have people relying on you, yeah. I mean, you can have a nine to five, but what about your five to nine or your five to well, seven to was just, or your I, was five just to two? I was
1: just going to say, if you're willing you're to. You're not, not writing sleep, letters
0: or sending telegraphs. You no. have the internet, <laughs> the world that you're seeing. I mean, the world's <laughs> at <that> your finger, <laughs> fingertips right here. Yes, yes. You can stalk any yeah. CEO or any client right. and find out so much about yeah. them. You just yeah, have you to harness mm-hmm. what you have and stop using social media like a consumer and start using it as a tool to really put those bricks down for whatever path you're on. Yeah. But you have to start thinking about it. Like this is my job. And when I come home from work, I have to start working again because this is the job that I want.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you talk to anybody that is maybe a year out of it as an entrepreneur, they will tell you, I had no idea what I was getting into. There's no turning back, but this is off the rails. What I have to do, the lack of sleep, the I have to do everything myself, and even uh, an entrepreneur saying, I have not yet gotten to the point where I can delegate. I really feel like I have to do everything myself because it won't get done right. That is my opinion. That's a recipe for total failure. You have to let some things go and give other people you know, responsibility to do the work that you need to have done because there's no other way for you to make money or to grow unless you delegate. Can't but scale. That, that's, you can't scale unless you delegate, but that takes practice for an entrepreneur. So yeah, I mean, you're right. The, you know, this is, there's a lot of tools to be successful, but there's still a lot to do. And you're right, you know, five to nine. It's not even five to nine, Esther. It's like five to midnight, getting up again at six to go to your job at eight. Yep. And that's going to go on for a while.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, you could come up with some interesting, you know, business that gives you passive income. Yeah. Right. But what do you call that stuff? Dropship.
0: Dropshipping. Well, here's the thing, but that's but here's the thing about Bitcoin. Please (laughs) don't do Bitcoin. Don't do the coin right now. But as far as dropshipping and e-commerce and things like that go, there are a lot of success stories about that, and it does create passive income. But guess what? Those people have taken the time out to learn Instagram marketing, Facebook marketing. They've taken the time to understand how to get their products in front of the right client, and they've taken their time to research which products are going to convert. So yes, once they find the right products, like people made. Millions of dollars off of fidget spinners. That's crazy, right? Fidget spinners. We had like 20 in our house at one point. (laughs) Exactly. But guess what? you had to be paying attention Mm -hmm. and then you had to know how to be on top of the pile. Success is where preparation and opportunity meet. So if you have taken the time to understand Instagram and Facebook marketing, you've taken the time to understand drop shipping and, and, and e-commerce. Then when you find a fidget spinner, you're already in a position to be like, I'm pouncing on this and I'm taking this opportunity. I love it. Our podcast always includes a tip
1: for the modern minority-owned business. And this tip is specifically related to ensuring that your company as a minority-owned business is ready for the future. And the first thing I would say is there's an amazing website called grow.google. And this website will help you find opportunities to learn to code, to understand the new technologies that are available for your business, to help you learn how to buy digital advertising, to teach you about YouTube advertising, all different kinds of technology tools that'll help you grow your business and scale it so you can be sustainable
0: and attract new talent. The Honest Field Guide podcast is produced by Burke Creative, written and created by Ginger Birkenbühl and Astory Koro. The podcast is recorded in the innovation and technology capital of the Midwest, Chicago, at Stomping Ground Studios in Ukrainian Village.
1: Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carol. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter.